Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. On today's PCOS Diva podcast, we are very fortunate to have Dr. Stephanie Estima. She's a doctor of chiropractic with a special interest in metabolism, body composition, functional neurology, and female physiology. And she is the host of a wonderful podcast called Better with Dr. Stephanie and the author of a brand new book called The Betty Body. So I'm so happy to have you here, Dr. Stephanie, to talk with us. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. So you have a great new book. I read it from cover to cover last night, and there's a lot of parallels with uh, my PCOS Diva philosophy, especially, um, and I want you to get into your story and tell us what a Betty is, and um, I think listeners can both see the parallels. Yeah, sure. So um, like your divas, uh, a Betty is someone who is really just a lifelong learner. So this name came about, you know, people often ask me like, why did you call it? Your name is Stephanie. Why do you have a book called The Betty Body? <laughs> so it's it comes from the podcast. So as you mentioned, the podcast name is Better and Better with Dr. Stephanie. And we started calling our fans of Better our Bettys. And it was just sort of this organic, cute little nickname that I had for, for my Bettys. And then I you know, had said it a couple times on the podcast, like, you know, for my Bettys that are listening, you know, what have you. And then it just kind of stuck, you know, people started leaving reviews on the pod, uh, you know, on iTunes or what have you saying, I'm a Betty. I love being a Betty. Like I love being in this, you know, world of being a Betty with you. And I said, huh, there's something, there's like something there. And I looked it up. I, well, I, I actually can't take credit for it. My partner looked up the word Betty and he came across a, a definition in Urban Dictionary. So if you actually go to Urban dictionary.com, you'll see the definition of a Betty, which reads something like, you know, a Betty is a modern day queen. She is a triple threat. She's intelligent. She's loving. She's beautiful on the inside and outside. And she can, you know, she knows who she is and she's on this quest for learning. And when I read that definition, I said, wow, that's so funny. Uh, you know, it's completely unintended, but that's exactly the type of woman that I want to be serving. Someone who is 
you know, we're not trying to all be size twos. Like that's not the, that's not the goal. It's the, the goal is to love the skin that you're in. And then if you have other health goals for yourself to work together, to, to bring those about. So that's where the name Betty comes from. And when I was writing the, the book, it was all for my Bettys. Like I was sharing personal stories, my own story with my own hormonal and menstrual, uh, you know, I'll call it a gong show because it was a gong show for many, many, many years. And I wanted to name the book almost like the promise, right? Like the promise is that at the end of the book, you are going to have a Betty body. So you're going to be able to heal your hormones. You'll be able to intuitively eat and respond to yourself in an appropriate way, right? So you're attending to your internal environment, your external environment, and you're going to use things like, you know, we talk about transformative sex and other proxies to self-actualize, to be the healthiest, most joyful versions of ourselves Mm -hmm. that we can. I love that. And, and you really did a beautiful job writing this. I just have to read a few lines um, when you're describing the Betty. Yeah. You describe her as she intuitively knows how to eat in a way that is not punitive, but a celebration for all that she is. A Betty leans into her desires, what is pleasurable and what marinates her soul and joy. I love that line. Yeah, thank and, you. And then uh, you talk about, I think this is true for a lot of listeners, her voice has been drowned out by the hostile cross-examining lawyer that exists in your mind, constantly telling you that you are not good enough, pretty enough, capable enough, or worthy enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, and I think that that's, I mean, who hasn't felt like that? We've all, we all have this, I call her like my, you know, hostile cross-examining lawyer, Mm -hmm. as you just read, where you want to move towards your self-actualized self Mm -hmm. and you're afraid, you know, there's this voice that's like, but what if, what if you fall on your face? What if you look like a fool? What if you don't have all the skills yet? What if you don't have the capabilities yet? What if you're not good enough yet? You know, and, and then you scare yourself out of moving forward. So, you know, the po- there's kind of like a secret goal in the book and the secret goal is to make friends with this voice, right? It's not to you know, listen only to what this particular voice is saying, honor what that voice is telling you, that inner critic or that inner troll or that hostile cross-examining lawyer, but also figure out what it is that you really want to do. And that voice is there to protect you, right? It's there to keep you safe, but it's also there to keep you small because we know that staying safe and, you know, not doing anything new is one way to keep us safe for no harm to ever come about. But if you want to make you know, a courageous leap, whether that's healing your hormones or, you know, uh, changing your metabolic uh, uh, landscape or changing your body composition. It requires changing a lot of behaviors in your everyday life. It actually requires hundreds of behaviors to be, you know, you have to change sometimes where you grocery shop and what the things you're buying and how you're preparing foods and maybe that you're preparing foods at all, you know, that you're not just ordering in from Uber Eats or whatever. So I think, um, you know, recognizing that you are there for the long haul with this particular voice to love up on her and to thank her for keeping you safe, but to also recognize uh, to do the things that you still want to do anyway, in spite of this voice telling you that you're not pretty enough, not, you know, talented enough, not smart enough. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, that was my, that was kind of my story for years. Like I didn't, I didn't even start a podcast. I had wanted to start a podcast, uh, like five, easily five, uh, to seven years ago. And I was like, well, I'm in clinical practice. Don't have time for it. And who wants to hear my voice anyway? Right. And it's sort of this like shape-shifting critic that's like, well, why do we need another podcast on health? Like there's a lot of them out there, you know, like you're, you're not, you're not doing anything, you know, revolutionary. Um, and then when I started the podcast, you know, I have a interview set, like one of the shows that we have on the, on the podcast is an interview where like this, you and I are having a conversation. And then I have a smaller uh, segment where it's just me talking about, I call it geeky magic, where we just talk about some, something, some, some musing that I have, hot therapy, cold therapy, you know, zone two training, whatever. And I was like, well, people don't really want to hear your voice. Like they really want to hear, like you have a pretty good network. Like they only want to hear the interviews you had. So like I, I still deal. And I think we all will forever deal with this hostile cross-examining lawyer, just a matter of, you know, recognizing when she's running the show and, um, you know, deciding to be the driver's seat, you know, be in the driver's seat and not listen to the, you know, the backseat driver, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And and I kind of think of it as sort of partnering with um with that inner critic as well. Yeah. Um so I think in order to write a book like you've written, you have to have um your own struggles and journey which you've overcome. And so I'd love for you to share that that journey with us. Sure. Yeah. I, I outline this in chapter one of the book, A Heroine Lost in a Modern World is the title of the of the first chapter. And I talk about how, you know, I was doing all the things right. You know, I was getting all the grades, do like in in um in university and in through chiropractic schooling, like very rigorous, um, you know, and it's very academically heavy. So getting all of those things, but you know, completely ignoring my body. So my body, I would sit for, you know, hours on end studying, eating the most nutrient devoid, toxic garbage. You know, I would I talk about this um coffee that I used to get. It was like double cream, double sugar. And I knew exactly like in between my classes, I could go pop out to this little coffee shop, get this double cream, double sugar, you know, um, uh, insulin bomb, <laughs> uh, you know, glucose bomb and, uh, and be, you know, have it in my hands warm for the next, you know, before the next um, class started. And I did that for years. And of course my menstrual cycle, as you may have guessed, was not great. I never really viewed my menstrual cycle as anything to pay attention to it. I'd always felt like I was being punished for being a woman every month. That's sort of how I viewed it. It's like, oh, this thing again. And I would have to take medication uh, to silence the pain. So I was on these little uh, blue pills. They're called Anaprox. And I would take that, copious amounts of Midol and whatever to be able to get through it. And you know, every, it, it seemed like every month, like nothing changed. Right. And, and I always thought that the solution was to just duct tape, you know, the, the screaming from my body. Um, and it wasn't really until I, and I was still like fully in practice, you know, teaching people about, you know, the science, the health and wellness around having flexibility and mobility. And we were running nutrition programs, um, uh, in-house in the clinic. And I had, you know, several years ago, I'd gone through a very difficult uh, divorce with, um, uh, 
uh, with young children. So any any of my Bettys or my divas that are listening uh, who've gone through divorce know how difficult that, you know, divorce in and of itself is difficult. With children, it's like orders of magnitude worse. Um, and then I also had at the same time that that happened, because when it rains, it pours, my clinic burned down. So I had to rebuild up the clinic. I had to find a temporary location and then, you know, build up this like big rehab center um, uh, at the same time. So went to, you know, menstrual cycle was continuing to be just this, you know, punitive, you know, I was at war with my body. And it, it wasn't until I went with, on a family vacation uh, with my kids and, um, uh, and my partner to uh, Italy. And I was sleeping more. I was spending time in nature. I was walking. You know, I would walk every morning uh, to go get a, you know a cup of coffee, and then I would walk. We would walk after lunch. We'd walk after dinner. You know, I was outside getting that beautiful salty you know Mediterranean air. And towards the end of that um, uh, vacation, I got my period. And normally, that would have been the thing that ruined. <laughs> that would have been the thing that ruined the vacation. I would be holed up in the hotel room, you know, mask on, you know, drugged up. But it was it was beautiful. It sort of, you know, came, did its thing. I didn't bleed through like multiple pairs of pants, which was like a thing for me forever. I was all, whenever I was going to clinic and I knew I was getting my period out, I'd always bring two pairs of pants because I would inevitably bleed through at least one, sometimes two. Um, so it came and it went and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, I feel like a goddess. Like, I feel like this is what it's like to have beautiful, um, menstruation. And I was determined to, to have, like to have that experience again. Right. So when we came back from Italy, you know, part of me was like, well, how am I really going to do this? Because it's, I'm on vacation. Like everything's better in Italy, like the coffee, you know, like everything is better there. But, um, what I, what I did was I really deconstructed what were some of the things that I was doing, you know, what were some of the lifestyle mods that I, that I was doing that really um, had this profound effect on my hormonal uh, milieu. And it was the things that I talked to you about, getting out in sunshine, getting out in the morning and honoring my circadian biology, sleeping, you know, longer. And I talk about this in the book, what women have longer sleep cycles than men. So we should be sleeping. We should be honoring our sleep. Um, you know, walking after dinner ox. And so of course, you know, again, talking about this in the book, like you oxygenate, like you increase the oxygen saturation of your blood. So you're going to have a better night's sleep. So all of these different things I brought back uh, to my home. I live in Toronto uh, on the East coast um, in Canada. And, um, and my, and I started experimenting with my female patients as well. So I was running a nutrition program in house and I started saying, Hey, you know, taking some of the girls, uh, some of the women aside and saying, Hey, can we play around with some of these parameters and see if we can augment and improve some of the results that you're trying to, you know, that you're trying to bring about on this nutrition program. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the birthplace of the Betty body in terms of the, uh, the protocols that we talk about in terms of nutrition and macronutrients, and then how we can cycle them. Um, according to our menstrual cycle. And that's sort of, um, you know, that's where that all came from. I think what I'm hearing and, uh, you know, with your lifestyle um, shifts, you know, getting out in sunshine, sleeping more, um, going for like a nice walk in nature. Those are all really enjoyable, pleasurable things that shifted your health. I mean, I think that a lot of women with PCOS, they're told by the doctor, go on a low carb diet, go to the gym more, exercise more. You know, you can't have um, 
gluten, you can't have dairy. It all seems really restrictive and, um, and kind of like living a life of denial. And that's very different from the, the life that healed you, which I, I would love for you to talk more about some of your rut routines and your little habits. Um, but I just love the way that you're framing healing. Um, it's in, with these positive habits that you make um, to really make an impact on your health. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there are, you know, I talk about PCOS quite a bit in the book, as, as you know, um, when we talk about androgen dominance and we talk about, you know, the inability to move testosterone down the pathway to estrogens and what some of those techniques for healing might be. But you're right. There's a lot of joyful practices and pleasure, you know, baked in pleasure into things like sleeping a little bit longer. You know, when we, when we talk about sleep, and I hope we'll get a chance to talk about it today, this is, you know, free, right? It's not like you don't need to buy an expensive program. Like this is available to everybody. And for women, we have a longer sleep cycle than men, usually somewhere between 15 and 45 minutes longer, um, which is almost an entire full cycle of going through your non-REM to REM sleep and back up again. And and so it's important to honor that and getting out in, you know, every morning, what I do now is I have a little, I love my little cup of espresso. That's my little, you know, treat for the day. I have that first thing in the morning and I sit outside. So I, I have a tank top on, you know, I live in Toronto. So all seasons, we get winter, spring, summer, fall, and it doesn't matter the season. I have my, um, my cup of espresso and I listen to the birds chirp. I watch, you know, the sun as it kind of changes the colors in the morning sky and it's, it's so simple and it almost seems so simple that you would disregard it as being ineffective, but it's the aggregate, it's the, it's the smaller little habits that really do add up over time. You know, I'm often asked, you know, what's like the biggest, if for weight loss, if I want to lose weight, like what's the biggest? And I'll say something like, put your fork down in between bites and just chew your food, right? Mm -hmm. And people are like, come on, like, what's the real thing? Like, what's, okay, fine, that, okay, I know we should chew, whatever, but what's the real thing? And it's like, no, that's the real thing. You know, so many of us are eating unconsciously, right? We're just, you know, kind of, at least I did this for years and I've had a lot of women, you know, relay this to me that we're just like shoveling the food in our mouths without actually properly chewing, properly allowing for the salivary amylase to break it down, getting that bolus, you know, fully like broken down and ready for absorption in the small intestine. Mm -hmm. So I think some of these small little habits like, you know, sleeping a little longer, getting out and, and getting some sun in your eyes first thing in the morning can be enormously powerful in terms of helping to heal your hormones. And the second chapter in the book is actually all about chronic stress and low-grade inflammation. And when we are not practicing these little tiny little moments of joy through, the, through our day, you know, all we're doing is we're, do, we're a to-do list, right? Like all we are is like, okay, got to get the kids to school, got to cook, got to do, you know, got to get myself together for work. I got to get on the Zoom call. I got to, you know, versus, okay, I'm just going to take a moment for me right now to ground myself, to connect to mother earth, you know, and I think I live in an urban center, right? Like I live in a really big city and I think what tends to happen. And even if you don't live in a city, I think we tend to, what I've noticed anyways, we tend to 
we become more divorced from the land, right? Like we don't think that, we just think we're on planet earth, not that we're of or from planet earth, right? And I think that as we can just connect to mother nature uh, and all of her brilliance, I think that that's one of the ways that we can very powerfully, simply and available to everybody, you know, begin that road to healing and, and self-actualization. Yeah, I love that you brought up getting um, exposing your eyes to sunlight because I think that really helps to regulate that circadian cycle that you talk about in, in the book and the importance of that. Maybe you could touch a little bit more on it. But one thing that I love, uh, I've recently moved out to the country and I have kind of a long walk to my mailbox. And that's my sort of opportunity in midday to get my sun sunshine. Um, and then in the evening, I try to go for a walk as well to kind of expose my eyes to those sunshine at various parts of the day. And I really think that's helped my quality of sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love that. And I think that that's, it's, it's like these little small little things that we can perfume the day with, right? Mm. So what, what you're talking about, um, you know, when, when we're talking about circadian rhythms is typically what we see, and I, I'm sure that you can uh, comment on this as well, is we are very much a dark deprived society. So we are, you know, when we are indoor, like most of us spend, you know, most of the day indoors under artificial light. And of course we know that light the, you know, the lights that we have in the, you know, in our indoor home, like our homes or our office spaces, they're not as bright as the bright light that we would naturally see from the sun. So we sort of spend, you know, the day when we should be exposing ourselves to bright light under this kind of darker light. And then as we get home or we shut off Zoom for the day or, you know, what have you, then we maybe watch TV, a Netflix special, we browse social media on our devices, you know, and then you have this really bright light, right? We have this really bright blue light that happens uh, that we is starting to stimulate areas in the brain that are actually involved in, in shutting, you know, in, in the evening, what should be happening is we should be shutting down or getting ready for sleep. So we are never really, we, you know, we spend the days in a darker kind of environment and then we spend the evenings in a lighter environment, which of course is completely contrarian to how we are wired to work. What happens normally is, as you said, we should be you know, exposed to bright light in the morning. And that's going to tell our brain like, hey, it's morning time, time to rev up, time to produce lots and lots of energy, right? Time to suppress melatonin, which is a hormone that's involved in, um, in starting the sleep cycle. Like it, it's the sort of forewoman, I call her the forewoman in the book uh, in terms of initiating sleep. And when we are moving through the day, I will often counsel people, and I talk about this in the book, to actually make the inside of your house look like the outside of your house. So if it is, you know, for me in the summertime, spring, it's very bright, you know, towards, you know, seven, eight, nine o'clock, even, you know, still very bright outside. And so we still have lights on in the summertime in the house. But as we move into fall and, you know, the daylight savings time or the time switches again, and, um, and things are darker earlier, and especially through the winter, where I am, it can be dark at like 4.30 or 5 o'clock. And so in through the winter, we have dinner by candlelight. You know, we, all the lights in the house are off. We have those little, um, 
night lights that we put in the plugs uh, that are, you know, along the baseboards of the home so that, you know, we don't fall down the stairs or anything, but um, everything is dark. Um, so we're trying as much as we can to mimic mother nature's rhythm so that we can internalize that um, and, and help with our kids sleep and our sleep as well. So yeah, that would be, that would kind of be my best piece of advice is just try to make the inside of your house look like the outside. Like what is nature telling you? Because there's been billions of years of this, you know, of this rhythm. And for us to think that, you know, social media and Netflix and TV, if these things are not having an impact on our, on our sleep, like you're sadly mistaken. Of course it does. And you can, you know, even just in the middle of the night, like if you wake up and just check your phone, you know, a lot of people have their phones in their bedroom, which I don't advise, but if you do have it and you check the time, just that blast of light, like from the phone opening and you seeing the time can also affect your ability to fall back asleep again. Mm. So yeah. So, I mean, that, that would be kind of like my little spiel or my little call to action or call to, you know, invitation if someone feels so called to try and help with, you know, decreasing the amount of light um, that we see in the evening. Cause we need to be in a dark environment in the evening. And that's why I say dark deprived because in the evening is when all, everything lights up, the TVs light up, the phones light up, you know, we really, the iPads, we need to really get off of our devices and really just begin to settle in for the evening. Yeah. And I think it's really common too, for a lot of women with PCOS, with mood related disorders, anxiety, stress, it's hard to quiet your mind um, in the evening and to have, uh, you know, so much stimulation, I think with the, with the screens um, and the blue light, it just makes it harder to, to unwind for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's a way of self-soothing too, right? We yeah, go online yeah. to sort of be like, okay, what's going on? Like what can, what makes me happy? You know, but there are other, there are other gentler ways that we can begin to feel our feelings and begin to, you know, honor our physiology, whether we have PCOS um, or not um, to help with that unwinding and getting ready for bed. And you have some um, good sort of new habits and shifts that we can make around um, bedtime. I was wondering if you could share those with us. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of them I've already shared. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of making the outside look like the inside. That's one of my favorite things. Um, there's a couple of, there's a couple of hacks um, that I talk about. So um, in the evening in particular, uh, I love to talk about um, before, and, I'll, and I always, you know, I just spent like, you know, five or 10 minutes talking about blue light, but I will break that rule uh, for Tetris. <laughs> so when we're thinking about, um, you know, settling in, uh, for the evening before it gets dark out. I love, I talked about this in the book, it's called the Tetris effect. Um, playing a little bit of Tetris. Um, what this is shown to do in the brain when you've been sort of playing it consistently is that it actually makes um, the parts of the brain, we call it the gray matter, which is basically where the nerve cells are born. Um, it makes that area thicker. So when we think about healthy aging over the span of our lives, one of the things we want to be considering with PCOS is to keep our brains big and thick and juicy, right? Like that's what we really want to preserve is our brain volume. So this is one fun way to do it. There are many others. Exercising is one, you know, there's fasting. That's another, there's, you know, carbohydrate restriction. That's another way, but a fun, easy way to do it is to play some Tetris. 
another thing that I talk about is uh, regular orgasms. So this is something you can do with or without a partner. <laughs> so I, you know, I always say like, you know, you can do it with a partner or you can just find a toy that you like, call it your partner and just kind of get after it. Um, because this is one of the best ways, you know, regular orgasms is one of the best ways that you can bring about parasympathetic activity. And that's just a fancy word for relaxing. It's like the part of our nervous system that we call rest and digest, stay and play, right? So it's like the, you know, if you've had, if you've ever experienced an orgasm, that post-orgasmic release and relaxation. And this is another longevity tool, right? Because what are the, one of the things we know specifically about women with PCOS is that they tend to have you know, a lot of times the PCOS has its roots in insulin dysregulation, which is correlated with cardiovascular uh, issues like cardiovascular disease over the long term. And when we are regularly climaxing, one of the things that we know is that it impacts our vital signs, specifically some of our cardiovascular parameters. So our heart rate will lower, our blood pressure will lower, our respiratory rate, you know, maybe leading up to the climax, it, it quickens, but after, the, after you orgasm, it, your respiratory rate will decrease. Your oxygen saturation, so the amount of oxygen that's in your blood is going to improve. It's like, one, it's like nature's ambient, right? It's like one of the be most beautiful ways that you can drift off into um, a beautiful sleep. So I talk about, uh, you know, uh, the places you will go with the big O, right? Like my little <laughs> Dr. Susian, um, you know, hat tip there, but, um, definitely thinking about, um, regular orgasms and, you know, journaling as well. So uh, this can be a handwritten or you can just make mental notes. I like to close off the day by thinking about what went right. And if things didn't go right, you know, what, where is my opportunity for learning, right? So if there was, um, you know, something really great that happened with your child or your partner or something in, you know, in your job, taking a moment to honor and celebrate that, right? Looking for this, even if it's, even if nothing big happened, even if it's just like, yeah, I had a great hair day today, you know, like just taking a moment to be appreciative, even if it's like the simplest thing that you can um, imagine. And then when negative things do happen, and they always will, right, how we can reframe it rather than ruminating on the, you know, on the, on the event and what he said or what she said and what I should have said and how come I didn't think of this. Instead of that, maybe reframing it as an opportunity to learn more about yourself and potentially some of your own unresolved traumas or triggers or activators um, so that you can, you can show up better next time. Right. Um, that, that's, that's kind of the big, you know, we all, it's like win, you know, it's like, you know, win or learn, you know, I, I like to, it's not win or lose. I like to think about it as like you either had a win or you had an opportunity for learning. So where's your opportunity for that? And so that can be like a five minute little journaling exercise. I go through questions in the book that you can ask yourself to sort of prompt you, or you can just like kind of make mental notes like, Hey, this was a great, you know, my makeup turned out really good. Or I felt really good when I presented at this meeting, or I really felt, like I kept my cool when I was having, you know, a very emotionally charged conversation with my, you know, whoever family member. So yeah, those are, those are some of my best, um, kind of tips for, um, your evening routine. Those are great. I mean, I think that the more you focus on good in your life, all of the good things, the more 
you'll attract the good in your life. It's um, such a powerful tool. So the last thing that I wanted you to chat with us about is movement. And, you know, there's a lot of women with PCOS who uh, do a lot of like single exertion type exercise, like running um, and, you know, even like spinning, you know, they're not doing a lot of um, strength building and um, interval training. And I would love for you to kind of talk about what you think is the best type of movement for, for PCOS and that kind of high testosterone situation. Yeah, this is a, this is a great question. So I think that, you know, I am a fan, a big, big fan of resistance training. And um, before we kind of dive into the waters of it, I just want to like pinky promise you, I promise you will not get bulky. I still hear that like in, you know, 2021, people like, well, but am I going to get bulky? No, you're not. (laughs) You do not have enough. Even if you have poor aromatization from testosterone to estrogen, I promise you do not, you will need to supplement with exogenous testosterone to get bulky. And I will say that as a woman who was a, I used to be a figure competitor. So I sort of like, in, it's like a step above bikini and a step below bodybuilding. And I wanted bulk. <laughs> like I wanted the bulk and I had like the nine plates doing the leg press and like, didn't happen for me. Um, so, and that's just not like an N of one. That's just generally women have a very, very hard time bulking. So resistance training is wonderful for women with PCOS because as I mentioned briefly before, one of the common underpinnings, one of the physiological derangements that we see with PCOS is that it has its roots in insulin dysregulation. And all that means, and I'm sure you've talked about this a lot on the podcast, is that the cells are typically insulin insensitive. So when insulin is working, trying to get you know the glucose or the amino acids or whatever into the cell in order to create energy, um, we find that um, women with PCOS, we tend, there's a down regulation of sensitization to insulin. So one of the ways that you can improve that is by increasing your lean muscle mass. And just by volume, your muscles are going to be the biggest, you know, glucose reservoir or glucose sink, if you will, um, just by volume. So we know that the brain is a big gobbler of glucose. Of course, you know, the liver will also store um, glucose as glycogen and the muscles will store glucose in as glycogen as well. But we have like our muscles in aggregate are much bigger, you know, by total volume and weight than our liver is, right? So as we improve our lean muscle mass, as we are training, uh, lifting weights, you are going to initiate a process called muscle protein synthesis, which is going to create that muscle. And then when you're, when you do eat something, um, you know, maybe it's immediately following a meal or just generally through your day, you are much more likely to dispose of the carbohydrate, which um, breaks down into glucose or the amino acids, uh, which break down from protein uh, in in the muscle. So this is one of the ways that is a really great strategy for you know healing your metabolism. So we're sensitizing your cells to insulin and also changing your body composition um, as well. And of course, this has 
uh, you know, resistance training also has a lot of impact on the brain. So we know that resistance training is going to improve your mood. We know there's like studies from me to you, you know, like for, you know, my, it will fill up my entire house with the mood uh, ameliorating effects that exercise has. So we know that a lot of women with PCOS often will suffer from mood dysregulation. They'll feel depressed. They'll feel, you know, sad. They feel, they feel stressed, you know, especially if they have like, you know, if they're the type of woman who has lots of, you know, anovulatory months where they have no idea whether or not they've ovulated or they have not. So exercise will also help with your mood. It also upregulates brain volume. Again, so we were talking about the Tetris effect uh, before, but exercise also has the same effect. It will upregulate a gene uh, and an enzyme called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF for short, and that is kind of like miracle grow for your brain. It's going to help protect the nerve cells that you have, and it's also going to help be involved in the birthing of new uh, neuronal cells. So very, very important from a physiological and body composition perspective. Now, of course, I'm not going to poo-poo on like the spin classes and the cardio classes because, of course, we know that that has you know great cardiovascular benefits. We see mitochondria biogenesis with that. But if that's the only thing that you're doing, you really are missing out on the opportunity to help regulate your insulin insensitivity or sensitivity, as it were. Um, so that's that's kind of my spiel or my you know my elevator pitch on on uh, mm-hmm. on weight training. And there's a lot you know we go through the book like programming you know whether you have never lifted weights before, or, you know, you're a seasoned expert, um, as I am, there's programming in the book there for you. So you can, um, and I sort of direct you in the book where you can kind of go and get these free resources that I've created for you as well. Yeah, we've really only scratched the surface on today's podcast, because there is so much in the book, we didn't even uh, touch upon diet. So I really encourage PCOS divas to, uh, certainly check out Dr. Stephanie's podcast. um, And maybe Dr. Stephanie, you can tell us where we can find you, but also to pick up a copy of your, your new book, The Betty Body. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me, um, the podcast is called Better with Dr. Stephanie. So anywhere that you listen to PCOS Divas, you can find me there as well. So we're on iTunes and Spotify and Google and all the places. Um, You can buy the book. uh, It's called The Betty Body, A Geeky Goddess's Guide to Balanced Hormones, Intuitive Eating, and Transformative Sex. And you can buy that on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble. You know, these are online retailers that, um, that have it and you can head once you buy the book head on over to bettybodybook.com and that's where i have you know kind of created lots of bonuses and treats for my betties for my pcos divas who want to um uh who want to get some of the uh, we have nutrition programming in there we have fitness programming we have rehab all of the all the juicy stuff is there as well Uh, Well, that sounds like a great, I I love it, the little treats for everybody. Um, Well, I hope that um, you have enjoyed listening to today's episode. Thank you, Dr. Stephanie, for joining us. And I look forward to being with you again very soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute, 
please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCUSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.